Would you shout with me, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest, and wave, just go, Hosanna, Hosanna in the highest. Wonderful. Uh, Sarah and I lived in Pasadena in California for about three years, and Pasadena is home of the Rose Bowl, the college um, football championship that I think the Hawkeyes were in five or six times throughout history, most recent in 2016, and they lost, unfortunately. But it is also home of the, the Rose Parade, um, which is a big deal. It's on New Year's Day every year, and um, this past January was actually the first time it was canceled since World War II because of COVID. Somewhere between... 700,000 and a million people come into Pasadena the week of the Rose Parade. And, of course, millions more watch this thing on TV. Well, the parade route is five and a half miles, and unless you get there very early or pay to have some bleacher seats, um, it's very unlikely that you'll get a good viewing spot. There's people like all these kind of events, that show up with tents and camp out the night before. Well, when Sarah and I were living there, we had no idea. I mean, we knew it was important, but we didn't know how hard it was to see it. We lived like a quarter mile from where the parade route was. So we got up like and left the house, say, five minutes before it was supposed to start. And we start walking towards the route. And you can hear, even from far away, um, the band, the marching band start playing. You can smell the bacon-wrapped hot dogs being grilled up on the street by the vendors. It's pretty exciting, but the closer and closer you get, of course, the more dense the people are, the more kids there are on their parents' shoulders, and the less likely it is that you'll be able to see anything but the very tops of the floats. But it's exciting. You can hear the music. You can feel the, the energy. It's palpable. And with a the parade, there's this clear movement in one direction. You're seeing it all go the one way that it's meant to go. And it's exciting. In fact, it's probably more exciting if you're in the parade. And then you're, you're marching along with others. You're traveling these five and a half miles. And this is the excitement in our text today. Everyone is marching towards Jerusalem, towards the temple. It's all these uh, Jewish people on pilgrimage to Jerusalem for Passover. So they're traveling from far away to go into Jerusalem. They're there. Jesus shows up on this donkey. It's an exciting moment. But I wonder you know, what the excitement would be if those marching with Jesus knew that he didn't ultimately end up in the temple, but hanging on a cross, on a Roman torture device, outside the city walls. I'd imagine it's a lot harder to enjoy the parade if you know where it ends. Now, what Sarah and I don't have much experience with is going to professional or college sporting events. It's just, 
it's not our thing. But I have been to enough games to know that there's chanting and cheering. And somehow you're supposed to know the chants, right? And certainly you're supposed to join in. Otherwise, it might seem like you're actually a fan of the other team sitting in the wrong section, and no one wants that to happen. So you go, I, O, W, A. You follow along. You do your best to play the part. Sometimes there's even hand movements and everything. And so you chant with full participation and excitement and belief that your team will win. Well, there was chanting going on in Jerusalem on that day as well. In fact, there's this group of psalms called the Hallel Psalms. In our Bible, it's Psalms 113 through 118. And our Old Testament lesson was from the the last bit of Psalm 118 today. And these were commonly recited during the bigger Jewish pilgrim festivals, like Passover. Um, And this is why all these people, again, are traveling to Jerusalem for this, this big festival of Passover. So they would know these, these Hallel, these Thanksgiving Psalms, and they'd be reciting them as they're walking however many miles they're walking into Jerusalem. They, they sort of begin to see the top of the temple from afar. The excitement is there. Now, some of these Jewish pilgrims would have been familiar not just with these Psalms, but with the prophets as well. And so for these more more literate Jews, you can imagine the power and symbolism latent in Jesus riding on a donkey. This is from the prophet Zechariah. This is uh, chapter 9, and I'm going to read verses 8 all the way through 17. This is God speaking, But I will encamp at my temple to guard it against marauding forces. Never again will an oppressor overrun my people. For now, I am keeping watch. And here's the words we know. So rejoice greatly, daughter Zion. Shout, daughter Jerusalem. See, your king comes to you righteous and victorious, lowly and riding on a donkey, on a colt, the foal of a donkey. I will take away the chariots from Ephraim and the war horses from Jerusalem, and the battle bow will be broken. He will proclaim peace to the nations. His rule will extend from sea to sea and from the river to the ends of the earth. As for you, because of the blood of my covenant with you, I will free your prisoners from the waterless pit. Return to your fortress, you prisoners of hope. Even now I announce that I will restore twice as much to you. I will bend Judah as I bend my bow and fill it with Ephraim. I will rouse your sons, Zion, against your sons, Greece, and make you like a warrior's sword. Then the Lord will appear over them. His arrow will flash like lightning. The sovereign Lord will sound the trumpet. He will march in the storms of the south, and the Lord Almighty will shield them. They will destroy and overcome with sling stones. They will drink and roar as with wine. They will be like a bowl. They will be full like a bowl. 
used for sprinkling the corners of the altar. The Lord their God will save his people on that day as a shepherd saves his flock. They will sparkle in his land like jewels in a crown. How attractive and beautiful they will be. Grain will make the young men thrive and new wine the young women. This is an exciting prophetic text. So you see this guy, again, you're marching to Jerusalem for Passover. You see this guy on a donkey, and it means something. It means something powerful and exciting. And this is why Jesus, who basically walks everywhere else in his ministry, intentionally comes riding on a donkey. Almost everywhere else in Mark, when Jesus does something that makes him appear like a Messiah, like a Savior, like a King, he tells them, basically, shh, don't tell anyone. Today, he comes on the donkey, the clear symbol that he is the shepherd who will save his flock. He wants people to catch on to this, this sort of uh, street theater as they're going in. And so the Jews, on their pilgrimage to Jerusalem, they start their coordinated chants and cheers like good fans, this time towards the end of those Hillel Psalms, which we read as our Old Testament lesson. Hosanna, which means please save us. Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. So we join them in our cheering, in our waving of the palm branches and shouting, in our excitement and celebration. Alongside them, we say, please save us. But if we're honest and aware, we can't join in all the way. Back to the football game. Could you wholeheartedly chant and cheer for your team if you knew they were facing a loss, and an embarrassing loss at that. Your cheering will not keep them from defeat. And so Palm Sunday is really, it's full of paradox for us. Because we know too many pieces of the story. We know the excitement of this day, but we know what happens in five days. And then we know what happens next Sunday as well on Easter. And so we have to hold all these pieces together. We celebrate Jesus as king, but we know in five days he's abandoned and suffocating. And our cheering will not keep him from the cross. I wish today was as easy, though, as the crowd makes it look and sound. I wish it was as easy as sort of cheering and buying in at a sporting event or a parade. I wish we could wave our palms, sing our hosannas, offer blessings, and then just go to lunch. But it's not that easy. Today is the doorway into Holy Week. The last few days of Jesus' earthly life. And friends, it's not an easy week. It's not a week like any other week. That's what it means. It's holy. 
It's set apart. Did you know that these palms in our hands, we have them in our hands today, they become the ashes that mark our foreheads. Next Ash Wednesday. The Christian tradition and most churches who use these, they end up burning them. And then these that we waved around this day are what mark our mortality the next year. So even in this symbol of triumph is the taste of death. So triumph, it seems, isn't always what we think it is. Today, Jesus comes to us as a humble king. And the question that Palm Sunday asks of us is always this. Will we follow this king wherever he leads? And so the truth is, and maybe you can relate, I come to this day with conflicted feelings. I do come with joy, with anticipation, with hope, with celebration, but also with a bit of dread and resistance and fear. I want to trust and follow the way of Jesus, but I'm not so sure about the suffering and dying part. Holy Week is not for the faint of heart. If we truly understand what it means for Jesus to be the Messiah and what triumph really looks like, we might well have some questions about carrying these palms and chanting these words. If we realize where this parade is going and what it will ask of us, we might want to pause while we're still outside the walls of Jerusalem and take another look. We might not want to get caught up with the crowds going in. Because Jesus' entrance into Jerusalem will also involve an exodus, an exit. The victory parade of Palm Sunday is the funeral procession of Passion Sunday. So we begin with the crowd shouting, Hosanna, blessed is the one who comes in the name of the Lord. But we finish with Jesus giving a loud cry and breathing his last. Yeah, a borrowed colt will carry Jesus to Jerusalem, but a borrowed passerby will carry his cross to Golgotha. And it was Simon of Serene, but it could have been anyone. And it's meant to be everyone, you and me included. I mean, after all, didn't Jesus say, if you want to become my followers, let them deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. The question Palm Sunday asks of us is always this. Will we follow the king wherever he leads? Because it's all too easy to get caught up in the parade. To go with the flow. To say the words because everyone else is. Yet this Sunday offers a brief moment outside Jerusalem to pause, to reflect, to answer as Christ beckons, will you follow?
There are moments in each of our lives, right? Big moments, threshold moments, life-changing moments when we need to slow down, maybe even stop and consider what it is we're getting into. Are we ready for this? What does it mean? What will it ask of me? Do I have what it takes? Is this really what I want? Am I prepared for what is to come? These are the questions we ask at all of the big moments in our lives, or we should anyways. Can I see this thing through to the end? Palm Sunday is one of these moments, and it comes every year. Now, I'm not suggesting that we ought to change our minds and avoid this week, but just the opposite. We need to be present, fully present to all this week offers. We need to show up with all that we are and all that we have. So maybe this Palm Sunday for you is a day to slow down, regroup, take a look at everything before you enter into this week. The last verse of our text today, Mark eleven eleven, says, And he entered Jerusalem and went into the temple. And when he had looked around at everything, as it was already late, he went out to Bethany with the twelve. So at the end of this exciting parade, at the end of the donkey ride, when the shouting is over and the last cloaks and palms have been thrown down, Jesus enters the temple. He looks around at everything and then leaves. Goes back to Bethany. This is a strange and anticlimactic ending to what is known as the triumphal entry. I mean, you'd think it would end differently. But maybe, however, it's necessary. It's what Jesus does, and maybe we should too. Maybe we need to look around at everything before we go any further into this week. Jerusalem was the center of Jewish life. It was the center of religious, social, political, economic life and structure. It was the center. This is where all pilgrimages end up. And at the center of the center is the temple. And this is where God is said to dwell. And on this day, it's where Jesus ends up and dwells. The temple, it stands at the center of the center. It is the heart of Jewish life. That means that when Jesus entered the temple and looked around at everything, he was looking into the very heart of the people of God, of the Jewish people. The very heart of the heart, the center of being for that community. He stops, he looks around, and he leaves. Today, as we enter into Holy Week, Jesus asks us to do the same. 
to take a look around everything in our hearts, in the very center, the very core of our beings. Right? In, in Proverbs, it says that the heart is the wellspring of life. Everything you do flows from it. It's the center of the center. So I want to ask you some questions. Take a look around everything in your heart, in your center of being, and what do you see? Where does it hurt? Where are the pain points? In what ways are your heart broken? Are you carrying guilt? I mean, what are the thing, the sins? As Chris said, what are the things done and the things left undone that chain you to the past? What are your regrets? Is your heart fearful? What scares you? Are you so overwhelmed by life that it feels like you are drowning and you just want to escape? Is there self-hatred or condemnation? When you look around at everything in your heart, what's there? Do you see broken relationships? Is your heart filled with loss, with sorrow, with grief? What parts of you are dying? Where is your life overcome by darkness? Who are the loved ones that have died and you miss? What is the dis-ease of your heart? Take a look around at everything in your heart. That's what Jesus did for the whole people of Israel. Jesus in the temple was taking inventory of the brokenness at the heart of his people. And Jesus leaves. And if you keep reading in Mark, the next day he comes back. And this time, when he enters the temple, he does so to drive out all injustices and oppression. He turns the tables, you might say. All of a sudden, pandering and posturing and monetary profit have no place in the temple. Because the heart of the people is meant to be the house of God. He says in verse 17 of Mark, Is it not written, My house shall be called a house of prayer for all the nations? And so these are the verses. This is where we see perhaps the most rage the most sort of uh, physical expression from Jesus. And that has to do with the center of the center, the heart of the people. Because at the heart of it all is meant to be prayer. So, friends, we begin this week taking inventory of our hearts and offering that all to God. In prayer. Like Jesus, we enter the heart of it all and we look around. 
what we refuse to look at and bring to this week cannot be healed. Cannot be restored, renewed, recreated, or resurrected. So what will you carry into this week? What will go with you to the cross? What will you bring and offer to God in prayer? And that question that Palm Sunday always asks is, will you follow the king where he leads? Would you pray with me? Father, we shout our hosannas to Jesus. Sometimes half-hearted, but sometimes in full sincerity. Hosanna, please save us. We're in need of you, Lord. We're in need of you to come into our hearts. These broken places within us. And to be gracious. To be kind. To restore us to renew us. Lord, give us the courage to walk towards the cross with you, knowing and trusting, God, that it leads to death, but ultimately it leads to resurrection. In the name of the resurrected one, Jesus Christ, amen.